Well, uh, it's a privilege to be here this morning and share in uh, Pastor Ryan's absence. He asked me a few weeks ago if I could take the first two Sundays in May, and I checked my calendar, I saw May 8th is Mother's Day. That's next Sunday, so that's uh, a warning to you men, it's next Sunday. And let me tell you this, husbands, telling your wife that she's not your mother doesn't cut it. So... (laughs) Next Sunday's Mother's Day, so that gave me two, but one is Mother's Day, so we're going to kind of focus on that next Sunday. So I thought, why not just take fathers today? So today I'm going to speak to the men, next Sunday to the, to the mothers. So we're going to kind of do it that way. And uh, let me just say, too, I've had kind of a, a busy speaking schedule lately just with the youth and entourage, and we're covering a lot of ground in preparation for a trip this summer and a lot of other things that they're doing. So I kind of uh, worked it in uh, in that regard. And just... Uh, point of uh, announcement that after the service on May 14th, they're having a silent auction at 630, 930 for this, uh, to help with this trip this summer, and uh, they're selling tickets just off the coffee bar area. Now, you have to have a ticket. We're not selling tickets at the door. If you just show up to get a ticket, you can't come in. Okay, that's just, now see, it's in love, I'm telling you right now, instead of at the door. So you have to have a ticket. We, they're $10, there's going to be a lot of great entertainment, eight train productions, there's going to be uh, food, there's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of things going on. It's going to be a great thing for only $10, but you got to have a ticket. There are a few left, and the kids will have them on sale in the back after the uh, service. So I want you to know about that. Now, in pre- preparation for this uh, message, talking to the men, I uh, thought... And talking to my dad, Wednesday was his 86th birthday. We had lunch together, Pat and I and my dad and, and all of that. And I uh, mentioned I was speaking the next two Sundays, and he um, was kind of inquiring about that. I said, well, the first Sunday I'm going to speak on the four things my dad taught me about women. And he said, I didn't think I knew four things about women. <laughs> and some things are caught, though, and not taught, so maybe not verbally specific. But, you know, it amazes me, too, that sometimes our kids come to us and they say, do you remember this or do you remember that? It just really impacted your life at that point. And Pat and I don't remember it at all. But it was something that was really strategic in their growth and development. So maybe some of these thoughts are that way in regard to my dad. But I can, I can remember distinctly, distinctly being four or five years old. And, you know, that's a century and a half ago. So... That's a pretty good memory, but I can remember distinctly that Dad and I would sit on the uh, sofa in the, uh, in the TV room. We called it the TV room. It wasn't really a family room or a den or anything like that, just the TV room. It was the room where the TV was. And we watched the old westerns. He liked the old westerns. I liked the old westerns. And I kind of grew up cutting my teeth on Roy Rogers and um, Gene Autry and, and uh, Wild Bill Hickok and some of those. And when I was 9 or 10... You know, Westerns were just the things Hollywood was putting out. And along came Bronco Lane and Cheyenne Bodie. Some of you remember some of these guys, don't you? And, and Josh Randall, of course, the Rifleman, Lucas McCain, and Marshall Matt Dillon, who kept peace in Dodge City for all those years. And it was a time when men were men. You remember when men were men? And you could tell by looking. And not only that, they knew which bathroom to go in. It's when men were men. No confusion about it. And there were lessons to be learned by watching these old westerns. And of special interest to my topic this morning was an old episode of Rawhide. Rawhide was a western about a cattle drive from Texas up to the railhead in St. Joe, Missouri. 
and it was led by trail boss Gil Favor and his right-hand man, Rowdy Yates. And in this episode, Gil and Rowdy had to ride into into town to find some of the boys who had gotten into some trouble and were in jail. So they had to go in and try to, you know, bond them out of jail. And as they're walking through this town on the way to the jail, you begin to notice something about the way they interacted with the townsfolk, especially the women. Because whenever they would come upon a woman, you know, in her long frilly dress and her bonnet and the little parasol they carried, they would always step aside and tip their hat and say, ma'am. These two rough and tumble trail drivers were very careful about their manners when it came to women. And what strikes you is how respectful they were. And that's the way men related to women in the Old West. And it's the way men relate to women today. Now, I not only got that from my childhood heroes, I got that from my dad. I learned very early on, you do not sass, talk back, disrespect your mother in any way. If there ever was a relapse in good judgment, I might as well just sit on the front step, wait for Dad to get home and say, Dad, just whoop me right now and get it over with. I know it's coming. And it didn't end with my mother because I had a little sister. And my brother and I, I'm nine or ten, he's like eight or nine, just a year or so younger than me. And my sister's like four. And we have our electric train set, and we have a little cowboy town, little plastic cowboys and Indian pieces, and we'd use our imagination to recreate the Old West. And here come my little four-year-old sister toddling in, and she'd want to play with something. Pick up the tree. Leave the tree there. Don't touch the tree. It's where the rifleman's going to come out and shoot from. (laughs) Don't bother it. Don't leave the train alone. And she'd always knock it off the track. And, and I would try to be, remember all the things, you know, and I'd try to hold her back. I'd try to get between her and the train set. I tried, and finally I exhausted everything I knew. And so <clears throat> at one point I just gently nudged her back. <laughs> and she just fell down and started crying. Ah! Here comes Dad. What's going on? Rick knocked me down. Did you knock your sister down? Dad, I tried everything I could think. I I kept her back. I tried to stand here. She's knocking things over. We're just minding our business. Here she, and I couldn't think of another thing I could have done except nudge her a little bit. And I said, I didn't know what else to do. And Dad said, you should have come and got me. I would make sure she didn't bother you anymore. Hadn't thought of that one. (laughs) Thought I'd save him some trouble. I ended up on the chair, the chair. One hour, you were either 30 minutes or one hour, depending on the degree of difficulty. I was on the chair for an hour. And you know, when you're nine years old, how much longer? 55 more minutes. (laughs) If you ask more than twice, you got an additional 15. So you learn to keep your mouth shut after that. But you did not. Didn't matter what they did. Didn't matter whose fault it was. You did not touch, hit, push, disrespect, speak ill of a woman at all. That was drilled in from early on. When I grew up, times were different. So what I have to say this morning is more important than ever. 
You can't hope to get bits and pieces of it and get as close as you try. You just didn't hit, push, speak crassly to a girl in any way. I remember as a kid, we'd in the summer, all the kids from the neighborhood, boys and girls like 10 or 12 of us, get on our bikes right down to Lake Clare. You go down Highway 24 and take business route into Huntington, you pass Lake Clare. And it used to, in those days, go down at the end with your dime, you could pay to get in, swim all day long. And you could dunk, push, splash, a boy all day long. You never did it to a girl, ever. If you did, you had all the guys on your case and you were done. You were a sissy. But it's a new day, isn't it? It's a different world. Some time ago, I read an article that Chuck Colson had written about a new fad that was going on in the public swimming pools in New York City called whirlpooling. Have you heard about that? He says, 20 or 30 boys link arms in a circle and surround a solitary girl. The boys close in on her, dunk her head underwater, frequently tear off her bathing suit and grab her. The problem has grown so severe that several boys have been arrested. Girls are afraid to go to the pool alone. The underlying philosophy that spawns this kind of behavior was uncovered by a survey the New York Times uh, had taken. And their reporters would ask several teenagers, teenage boys, why would they behave in such a predatory way? And one boy said, it's nature. Look at a female dog and a male dog. It's the same thing. You see 20 male dogs, a female dog. It's just the male nature. Now, I don't know any more details about whirlpooling than what Colson wrote in that article, but two things came to my mind. I would have liked to have been at that pool if Gil Favor and Rowdy Yates had shown up. The fur would fly. And secondly, these guys had never been taught to respect women. So four things my dad taught me about women. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 3. That's in your outline. And at verse 7, Peter was a family man, and he understood these things. So the first thing we're going to start with is be considerate. Be considerate. They're women. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, throughout history, the most dominant distortion of relationships has been on the man's side. In most cultures in the ancient world, women were treated as little more than servants, sometimes not any more than property. Marcius Cato, a Roman statesman in the second century, says, if you catch your wife in an act of infidelity, you can kill her without a trial. That's the law. That's what they could do. Men could do that. But if she were to catch you, she would not venture to touch you with her finger. She has no rights. Now, that's extreme. But it reflects the perversion of the roles and responsibilities of what God has intended for husbands and wives. Peter says the wife is the weaker vessel. And paganism always abuses those weaknesses. Her rights are reduced. Her status is lowered. Additional burdens get placed upon her. 
And Peter says, treat her with respect. That translates literally, pay the price. Men, husbands, pay the price for her emotional well-being, for her spiritual well-being, for her physical well-being. Pay the price, whatever it takes, whatever the price is, you pay it because you're the man, you're the husband, she's the weaker vessel, it's on you. Amen, says the ladies. Did you get that? <laughs> David Jeremiah, who's a nationally known uh, speaker and author and pastor for many, many years. David Jeremiah says in his experience, whenever there was a snag in a relationship in the congregation, a couple hit a snag, you didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go. He said in his experience, 95% of homes with a, difficult, with a difficulty, it was the wife who came for help, not the husband. That's not right. That's not right. Husband, it's your home. You're the husband. You're the head. Cowboy up or get in the truck, as they say. We got to step up to the plate. We got to take responsibility. We got to plow the way. We got to be the one to say, listen, we, we've hit a snag. Don't know what's going on. Don't know how to fix it. We've tried. We've kind of struggled along. Need some help. That's the man's place. It's not like, well, I'll go if you get somebody lined up, as long as I like him and he agrees with me and tells me what I want to hear. See, Christian knowledge gives her all consideration and thoughtfulness that God has intended. We're heirs. What does that mean? We have everything in common. We're to enjoy it together. Peter calls marriage the gracious gift of life. And I don't know anyone that enjoys marriage as much as Pat and I. But with that, its fulfillment can often be elusive. Rare is the marriage that gets better and better with time. Getting married is easy. Isn't it? Getting married is easy. Happens all the time. Staying married is difficult. That only happens about half the time. Staying happily married for a lifetime should rank among the fine arts. <laughs> and Peter gives five elements here that characterizes any group of believers, but especially the family. And look what he says. In verse 8, finally, all of you be like-minded. Uh, some translations have be in harmony. Uh, the idea is the same, in harmony, working together, like-minded, pursuing the same goals. See, unredeemed nature, outside of Jesus Christ, outside of a personal relationship, a committed relationship to Jesus Christ, self-serving is going to reign, self-occupation is going to reign, self-centeredness is going to reign and take over. That's disastrous in a, in a home. Most homes, most families don't have goals. I could ask all the husbands here this morning, listen, where do you want your marriage to be five years from now? What do you want to see happen? Where do you want to see it to be? Now, give me five goals that you have determined will get you to achieve that. We don't have goals. We don't have goals. So what do you have is just everyone kind of drifting off themselves, maybe even assuming that everyone else thinks like we do and we're going in different directions. So he says we need to be working in harmony, like-minded, one, in unity. Secondly, he says, be sympathetic. 
Sympathy. Be responsive to each other's needs. I don't know why it is. Men, I'm talking to men. Women are saying, men, this is just for you. In case you didn't know. Women feel like they kind of get worse as time goes along. One little wrinkle shows up. Creams, potions, lotions, prayer requests. One little wrinkle shows up. Now, from my seat, I think they get more beautiful. I think they become more kind, more gentle, softer. Look at what Peter says in chapter 3, because Christian women go by the word, and look at what Peter says to them in in verse 3, verse 3, chapter 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self. Yeah, that's where beauty comes from. And that's what in time and walking with Christ and faithfulness to Christ and relationship to Him and obeying Him and following Him, that's just what begins to happen, becomes more and more so. See, God doesn't say we're to love our wives because of what they are or they are not. We're commanded to love our wives because God says, men, love your wives, no matter what they are. It's his intention we do that. It's his will that we do that. To marry a woman for her beauty is like buying a house for its paint. Listen, what if you pulled up in front of a house with a realtor, you got out of the car, you saw a picture of this house in the paper, you decided you might want to buy it, you pull up to the house in a car with a realtor, you get out and you say, wow, here's my check, I want to buy this house. Well, well, wait a minute. Don't you want to check out the mechanicals? Don't you want to check out the appliances? See what the carpet looks like? I mean, don't you want to go, no, I just like the color. (laughs) You know, people get married on very little less than that in these days. She's beautiful. She's pretty. Now, it's okay to admire her beauty, her kindness, her gentleness, or any other virtue she has. And although those things may bring blessing to you and enjoyment to you, they aren't the bond of marriage. If every appealing characteristic or virtue should disappear, we're still under the obligation to love our wives. Because God says we're to love our wives. Now, April 4th, my wife had a total knee replacement. Most of you are aware of that. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for the the, the food and and the cards and all of your uh, well wishes. And she's doing really great. But I knew going in, we didn't even talk about it. I just know women. I know four things about women. And one is, there's going to be a scar. 28 staples. The reason I know that, now in the hospital, nurses take care of everything, and nurses are wonderful, wonderful. But when you get home, the coach has to take care of everything. That's me. And the very first time I remember seeing it, you have to take the little mesh thing, and you have to take the gauze off, and there it is. 28, I counted them, 28 little chrome. And I know she was nervous. We didn't talk about it. She didn't say, I just know. And I remember I said, wow. She said, what? I said, like your new piercings. 
That's what I thought. Woo! <laughs> Listen, scars, scars are just cowboy tattoos with a better story, okay? That's how I look at them. That's how men look at them and say, man, where'd you get that sc- Oh, yeah, let me tell you about that. <laughs> Women, you know, they'll wear six layers of clothing so you don't see it. So you have to be sympathetic. Show a little sympathy. See, if anything, we're under greater obligation because their need for healing and understanding and the restoring power of our love is greater. So just if something diminishes, it doesn't mean that our love... No, it should be greater because the need is greater. And that's why the third thing that Peter says there, love one another, intelligent, purposeful, sacrificial, giving yourself totally to the other, measured in what you give up to enable her to be all she can be in Jesus. That's the agape love. Pastor Ryan kind of delineated between that and phileo last week. This is agape. Love her like God loves her, with the divine love with a love that is measured in how much you sacrifice and give so she can be all she can be. And compassion, affectionate. That's what he says. Be compassionate. Be affectionate. I mean, one of the great joys of my life when our kids were teenagers when they had friends over to kiss Pat. Gross them out. Oh, I love to do that. It's just my dad. He's weird. I think they kind of understood and how important it is to be compassionate. I remember one time my son, he was, and if you were at the men's retreat a year and a half or so ago, I shared this with you. It'll do you good to hear it again. Like Peter would say, stir up their pure minds by way of remembrance. And if you didn't, you need to write this one down. I think I'm going to try to work this into every sermon I preach from here on out. But I remember, I remember a time, and, and we were all uh, watching this country uh, music award show on TV. And uh, at one point, Pat had decided to go in and fix popcorn for everybody. And so it, it was a commercial. She got up and left, started the popcorn. And before she got back, the program came back on. And there was a country western singer, a uh, young female country western singer by the name of Terry Clark. Beautiful girl, long black hair, wet blue eyes, angelic complexion, just a beautiful, beautiful girl. And she walks out. I, I, she was going to make a presentation or sing or something. I don't remember now. Um, and, uh, and I'm sitting there, and Terry Clark's pretty easy to look at. And my son, who's like 13 or 14, is sitting there, and he says, out of the blue, I'm not even talking to my son. I'm minding my own business. Just like I was minding my own business with the electric train, but, you know, that's how life goes sometimes. And my son says, Dad, you think Terry Clark is hot? <laughs> Oh, my mind goes into nanosecond. In a nanosecond, I'm thinking, if I say no, he's going to think I'm a liar and a lecher. If I say, or a liar, if I say yes, he's going to think I'm a lecher. And I thought I'd go with the truth. And I said, yes, son, I, I suppose Terry Clark is hot. And with that, he said, Mom, Dad thinks Terry Clark is hot. <laughs> and I said, this is when the Holy Spirit came upon me. And I said, but just remember this, but if Terry Clark is hot, your mama sizzles, and sizzling is hotter than hot. <laughs> That's right. And he was kind of good with that. And then Pat walked in and said, what's going on? Not that it's all worked out. It's all worked out. 
and humility. Encourage, rejoice in each other and each other's accomplishments. Don't retaliate. Doesn't matter whether it's a pan of cookies or promotion. Just in, in all humility, esteem the other greater than ourselves. Now, the second thing is be purposeful, be respectful. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, there's just a simple little sentence that says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. God can command love because he's given us the ability to show love. It's one thing, I remember when I was a kid, and there was a burger dairy store uh, down on Tipton Street in Huntington. It was about a mile from where we lived. And my dad would often say, son, milk was like 59 or 69 cents a gallon those days. So he'd oftentimes give me a dollar. He'd say, go down to Burgers and get a, get a gallon of milk. Now, he could say go down and get a gallon of milk because he'd given me the ability to get a gallon of milk. That's altogether different than if he says, go get a gallon of milk. Well, I don't have any money. I don't care. Go down and get a gallon of milk. It's your problem. Get a gallon of milk. That's different, isn't it? But when he gives me the ability to do what he asks, then I'm obligated to, to, to follow through. And see, that's what God does for us, man. He gives us the capacity to love in the way that he's demonstrating we love. It's a command on his part, and we have to make the choice to obey it. John MacArthur says, it seems to be a principle that whatever we choose to love and practice loving becomes attractive to us. And this phrase, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, translates literally love them on purpose. Love on purpose. So be purposeful about loving. Erwin Lutzer, the pastor of Moody Bible Church, at the Moody Bible Institute up in Chicago, tells a story of a woman that went to a lawyer and said, I want to get a divorce. I really hate my husband and I want to hurt him. Give me some advice. How can I get him? The attorney said, look, you're going to get a divorce anyway, right? Yes, I can't stand the guy. I'm getting a divorce. Okay, he said, do this. For three months, don't criticize him. Only speak well of him. Build him up. Every time he does something nice, commend him for it. Tell him what a great guy he is. And do that for three months. And after he thinks he has your confidence and love, hit him with the news and it'll hurt all that much more. She thought, that's genius. I'm going to do that. So for three months, she told him what a great guy he was, complimented him for everything he did, know what happened. At the end of three months... They forgot about the divorce, went on a second honeymoon. <laughs> what we choose to love and practice loving becomes attractive to us. Respect your position, wife, mother, womanhood. You know, there are many here this morning, many young married couples, 20 or 30-somethings, young married, your seed's in a pot. And you're surrounded by blooms everywhere. Blooms, blossoms everywhere. We have people here that have been married 40, 50 years, and then some. Do yourself a favor. Get with them. You've got the Regals here. You've got the Shins here. You've got the Deglers here. You've got the Paytons here. And I can go on and on and on. These are people that have done it for a lot of years, and they've done it well. And they continue to do it well. Get alongside them. 
you hit a snag or you have a question, they'd be more than happy to, to share and to pray with you. Let me ask you this, who knows more about it? A giddy 20-year-old guy who gets the warm fuzzies from holding his girlfriend's hand while they share a milkshake? Or that couple has been married for 40 or 50 years, and they've been through childbirth, and they've been through the emergency room visit, and they faced the prodigal leaving home, and they've prayed through a bout of cancer, and they buried a parent, and they faced financial issues. But through it all, they found the grace and mercy and love of God sufficient, knitting them together as one for His glory. That's who I want to get my cues from. If you give yourself an out, you'll take it. Satan will see to that. He'll see that it just gets tough enough that you, don't, you won't want to endure it anymore. But be purposeful. Number three, be intelligent. They're women. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 25, uh, 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I'm not going to take time to read the rest of that. But he's talking about this agape kind of love that God demonstrated through Christ for us. And Paul has in mind the love which comprehends what God intends marriage to be, which is therefore filled with the desire to carry out God's intentions. And God's intentions is you take this wonderful thing called marriage, this wonderful thing called husband and wife, and that in and of itself planted in this neighborhood, that neighborhood, the other neighborhood, will provide such a stark contrast and such a testimony that will manifest Christ in all of these places. We're a living example, a living testimony in that place, in that dark place, for the glory of God. The love that's described here is such that it makes it a delight for a wife to subject herself and respect her husband. Now listen to what this means. No wife... No wife can cultivate the self-subjection and submission that God intends without this intelligent, purposeful love in place by the husband. Husband, it is on you to provide the environment, to provide the soil, to, to provide the richness out of which she can grow. So many times I hear men say, well, if she, my wife would just this or my wife would just that. No, it's not on her. It's on you to provide the environment that will enable her to be all that God intends to be that she can grow out of. God's love is intelligent because the object of his love needs to be loved. God loves the right thing. And he says, husband, love your wife. It's the, she's the right thing. Sacrifice. And we talk about loving all kinds of things, don't we? But we're to love the right thing because she needs that love. That environment has to be there so she can bloom and blossom and be all that God intended her to be. We talk about loving hot dogs. Listen, hot dogs don't need to be loved. Okay? They just don't. It's okay to like them. They don't need love. 
They don't really even care if you love them or not. It's not intelligent to love a hot dog. It's okay to love one. So when Paul is asking for this self-subjection, self-submission, he's asking it as the outstanding evidence of love. Women will love, fall in. Submission means to fall in play or play your part, play your role. They, they are all about playing a role. If the men are providing the environment, atmosphere, and the, and the soil that enables them to take root and, and go. And without that, women really can't love their husband as with true Christian intelligence and purposefulness as God intended. They need that environment. You know, it's kind of like taking a body. Don't we have that parallel there? Husband, the head of the wife, Christ, the head of the church, the body. You can take a body and take the head off. You can say, well, the arm's just not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Well, the legs just aren't doing what they're supposed to be. No, it depends on the body, on the head, doing what it's supposed to do to enable them to do what they're designed to do. Now, some say, Pastor Rick, I mean... Okay, I can see Jesus and the church. He's Jesus. But nobody can really do that. Well, God says, in verse 28, in this same way as Christ in the church, that's what he's talking about, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives. Kind of removes that argument, doesn't it? And number four. In John's Gospel, Jesus is hanging on the cross in chapter 19. And this is be selfless. Selfless. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You and I will never know the agony that Jesus endured on the cross. We will never know that. How he selflessly provided for his mother. He gave himself for his mother, for his bride, because she was in need of a savior. And we are to die to ourselves, men, in order for our wives to live. Because that's what Christ's kind of love demands. And I might just say this to the ladies, to the single ladies. And I don't care how old you are, I don't know what God might have in store for you in the days ahead as far as a life's mate. But let me give you... uh, Just a thought. First of all, if you're looking for a good stallion, and young Christian women, you ought to have a good stallion. A righteous hunk, okay? But if you want a good stallion, don't go looking in the donkey corral. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I've sat down with I don't know how many. Where where did you two meet? Tell me a little something about yourself. In the bar. You know, really? And you're having trouble. Boy, who can believe that? Pat's 
it always had just, a, I thought, a, a very just practical thing. Before you get into an emotional attachment, you know, and then everything goes bonkers, you know, and you're not thinking straight. You're in an emotional attachment. Before you get there, when you have, you know, you're in your right thinking, your right mind, you've got a little sanity left. Sit down before God with the Word and make a list of the kind of qualities a godly Christian husband, father, man should have. And you write down, love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. You write down, you know, as a, as a good worker and has a great work ethic. And, and you write down, you know, list these good godly qualities. You know, good home, good upbringing, understands the value of family and the importance of family. And all you write these down and keep them somewhere useful. So when you get into a relationship and you're going a little, <laughs> take that out and hold it up. And say, okay, is this guy lining up with what I, and you think, well, not, not, then move on, right? Move on. Because you're not going to fix it or change it, you know, in the, in the emotion. Because men have, you need to be selfless. Is this a selfless person? Is this somebody that is just giving uh, themselves over? Is this somebody that's considerate? Somebody that's respectful, somebody that's purposeful, somebody that's intelligent, somebody that's selfless. Why? Because they're women, and they're worth it. Father, thank you for these minutes in your word as we've just navigated three or four passages very quickly. But Father, I pray for our homes this morning. I pray for our husbands. That, Father, they would take their cues from the Holy Word of God and from the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that their heart's determination would be to, to be the, the husband, to be the head, to be all that you intend them to be, that would enable their spouse to be all that she can be, that will enable those kids to have a godly example and to grow up in, in a very positive positive way with positive healthy healthy uh, righteous concepts of relationship now father in these closing minutes i know that there are a number of men here and they're they're getting it right they're 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 doing it they're giving it every effort we don't always make it at every point but father their marriages are strong and and healthy and father they desire that it continue to be so maybe you would lead them to shore up a, a chink in the armor, as it were. Father, maybe there's someone here that had a 30-minute revival on the way to church because it was, it was not, not a pretty picture at home before they left. I know about 30-minute revivals. And uh, there's something that needs, that needs to be taken care of this morning. Uh, something that needs to be worked out. And they're the men. It's on them. Give them the courage. Father, perhaps there's someone here who has been wondering how to solicit, how to secure a home that would honor and glorify you. And may they know it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one that can empower and implant the love that's required to raise a godly home. Might this be the day that some make that choice for him. 
Well, thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.